0: If that is actually the worst that can happen and I can see clearly that I could get through it and I really wouldn't die and I could go on, then, yeah, okay.
1: Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Kahn. Today on episode 615 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with Kellan Flugiger. In today's episode, Kellan shares his own experience getting through what he imagined to be the worst that could happen. Stay with us to hear all the details. My conversation with Kellan reminded me how many times I've been reassured by friends when I dreaded an outcome that I was imagining. I learned how important it is to be in a community with like-minded colleagues. That's one of the reasons why we created the Smashing the Plateau community. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll experience the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues. You'll also find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts and answers to your burning questions. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Now let's welcome Kellan Flukiger. Kellan is the ultimate catalyst for personal transformation. He's the author of 15 books and creator of the ultimate life transformation experience. If you really want to change your results, Kellan's experience and system will get you there. Kellan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's really good to see you again. That's great to have you here. Last time you were on Smash in the Plateau was in 2017, and we talked about self-sabotage and how you help others reach objectives that they previously thought were impossible to achieve. What's new since then? Well,
0: I finished a couple of more books. Uh, one of them is called The Story Arc, which is practical and persuasive magic for speakers, authors, and storytellers. I run three or four times a year, small groups to help people uh, finished books that tell their story and help them, you know, create products and that sort of thing. So that's something I was doing before, but now I wrote the book called The Story Arc. And uh, that's a, a lot of fun. I really enjoy the process of helping people figure out what that message is and then help them boldly and creatively tell it so they can do whatever they want, create an impact, create a business or whatever. And I love doing it.
1: And for the folks that, that would benefit from The Story Arc, where are they typically at when they when they need what's in the book? Well, it it depends. So some people
0: are at the place of, gee, I've been told forever I should write a book. I wonder if I should, some of them are there. Some, I have one lady right now who has written, she wrote a little book, I love the title of it, but it was very incomplete and it was very small and it needed to be a lot more fulsome exploration of what she's done and who she is. And I had a chance to talk to her quite a bit and that's how come I know that. And so she's already taken the plunge and really hasn't done anything with it. Some uh, have a fellow right now who's a business guy and he spent many years uh, helping businesses with employee... Contractor management: How to be accountable, how to change that into a pleasant and positive experience for the business and the people. And so he's writing a new book and also creating a course and he's launching a new speaking— not a new career, but he's already speaks before. But he's got four things booked first part of the year to go do that and some companies that are already interested. So. They can be all over the place, like somebody who's brand new, someone who has tried before, someone who's already doing something, and they're just looking for a way to really get their material organized. The guy in the company said, the last one I was talking about, he said, you know, I never ever thought I'd be able to put this into a book, and here I am, and he's waved the manuscript first draft in my hand, so.
1: And is this tool primarily for people that want to get their story into a book, or can it be another format?
0: It's speakers. So it's you can create a good keynote with the story arc process. You can create a program like something you want to sell online that teaches something with the story arc process. You can create like a three-day workshop, or you can write a book and then turn that into any of them. It's a method to to identify and organize the key elements in your life that have created who you are. And then figure out how to teach them to the right audience, the receptive people who want it, and help them see that it would benefit them. So the format, book, workshop, keynote, you know, that kind of thing is n- doesn't matter. It can be adapted. It's the method to help you figure out what it is, organize it, and tell it in a powerful way.
1: Mm-hmm. How hard is it for people to figure out the what, what it is?
0: It's sometimes really hard for people that don't want to see it, especially when you're looking at yourself.
1: I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. And I'll talk to somebody for an hour and I'll say, well, you could do this and this and describe it to them and I'll give them words and I happen to be blessed with language and so I give them a good word set and you could do this and this. And, you know, in an hour they get so excited they can't think straight about what the opportunity is. It was right there in front of them that they didn't realize.
1: Yeah. How willing do you need to be vulnerable about yourself and your own story in order to be able to use this as a a process that you share with others?
0: So your power is inversely proportional or directly proportional to your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. As your vulnerability goes up, your power goes up. It's easy for people to write a a set of instructions about something over there. I'm going to teach you how to weed baskets or grow a garden or have a thriving vegetable garden in Phoenix where it's too hot or something, because it's not about them and they're not on the line. So writing a how-to about something over there is really easy compared to examining, choosing, and then communicating the events that have shaped your life. The things that you know in your heart are truly valuable, but are scary to talk about. So your power in that context is proportional to your vulnerability.
1: Yeah, that that's sort of what I suspected. So How much of of the process that you teach is about the actual process itself and how much is it about helping the people you're working with become comfortable with sharing their story and, and, in fact, what has become their gifts?
0: The story arc process is the mechanics of identifying, organizing, and presenting the stuff. The reason that it's natural and wonderful for me, and I'm really good at it, is because my coaching style and process helps people understand that that vulnerability is their asset and powerful to them. So the story arc process in the book itself doesn't really talk about how to get vulnerable it just talks about you need to tell the truth and everybody is at a different place on that some people have already you know made their peace with that and many have not and so their willingness to To do that is sometimes, it's why I have a 90 day process. So you can buy the book and I didn't not write anything in the book, but one of the ladies that's in the group I'm finishing right now, it's got three more weeks. She said, yeah, I bought the book, but I never would have done it without joining this 90 day thing and making it happen. So that it's like anything else. I've, I've written it in the book completely without anything left out, but most people don't read textbooks and then go do the work. They need, you know, the the help on the way.
1: Right, right. But I I would think particularly with this kind of process and and what it actually takes to be successful using it, is the work that you do one-on-one or is it in group format?
0: So you both, the group that what I was just talking about is I have a small group, six or less. uh, And the reason I limit it to six at a time, sometimes I'm running two or three at once, is because I want to have the opportunity to get to know each person well enough so that I can really help them and not just talk about ideas that should help them, but explore with them what needs to happen for them so that they individually achieve success. So I limit the groups to six. I do private coaching. Of course, about anything, not just books, but about how to change your life. You read The Ultimate Catalyst. The idea behind that phrase is a catalyst is something that makes a reaction happen that otherwise wouldn't happen. And, you know, my life has been very interesting, ups and downs, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And in that process, and because I have chosen to be completely vulnerable, then I have enormous influence and power if someone's Mm -hmm. willing to go there.
1: Yeah. How did you discover? That you were, because of your willingness to be vulnerable, you had this kind of power.
0: I used to lie to everybody. I grew up as a pathological liar to protect myself from abuse as a child and got really good at it. I learned I didn't feel anything. I went through decades of depression and hating myself. And even though I had an outward, very successful career, high profile, this, that, and the other, made lots of money. I also was, you know, a drug addict behind the scenes, in and out of rehab, burned through multiple relationships, married and divorced three times. After all of that, 40 years in 2007, I had a a divine intervention. An unbelievable invitation to change, I had to say yes and go down that road, which meant walking away from everything I'd ever done and starting over. And the discovery of vulnerability was a process. It was not an event. The change of direction was an event, but the discovery of vulnerability was a process because after I even changed, I was scared. I didn't want to tell people or have people, anyone know what had happened and what I'd done and where I'd been and what, you know, all the things that had gone on because I was afraid. And some of those fears are justified. Some people don't believe, some people ignore, some people ridicule, but most don't. And as time went on and I chose to write the books, Sightrope of Depression and others, most that, you know, the 80 to 90% reaction is, you know, thank you. Wow, this is good you know, I love it. It's helped me so much. Now I have courage. And it doesn't always work. I had a, I met a lady a couple of years ago and she wanted to write a book really bad and we explored it deeply. And she, at the end of the day, said she couldn't because it would, she had chosen to believe the story that it would damage her family relationships and be too dangerous. So she couldn't do it. So it's not, you know, it's just real life like everything else, you know, (laughs) some do, some don't.
1: Right. Tell me a little more about the, your discovery of vulnerability process, because, you know, like you just described, some do and some don't. Some people have lives like you had before you went through this vulnerability process and they never change. Some change very early on. Some are just vulnerable pretty early on and, and don't go through what you went through. And as you described it, it is a process to go through and understand how to be vulnerable, and the, the benefits of vulnerability. Uh, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, about the actual process itself.
0: Yeah. What I discovered was often we hide or we lie or both because we are afraid. We are afraid somebody won't like us, will not get this or that. You know, there'll be something that we'll lose or benefits or advantages, And so we have a story that the only way we can keep ourselves okay is with these camouflage mechanisms, lighting, highing, pretending, not revealing ourselves. When you do that, you're always in a position of, well, if they only knew. So you have an underlying base of fear that says, if they only knew, and sometimes it's a very specific thing. If he knew or she knew that, then this. Other, mostly it's a vague fear as if they knew who I really am, what I've done, where I've been, what I really just said, and the other, then I would somehow lose status, credibility, opportunity, whatever, and I'd suck. And then the truth of my suckness would reveal itself kind of like that, right? What happened was I experimented. I wrote the book, Tightrope of Depression was the first book that was vulnerable. And I waited a year to publish it. I was so scared I lost sleep at night. Uh, I did not want people to know what had gone on. I was literally terrified people in the industry I was in would would come and perhaps it'd be repercussions because I'd made decisions and done, had influence in areas of tens of billions of dollars when all this other stuff was going on behind the scenes. Uh, I finally decided to publish it. Experimentally, there was some rumble, there was some stuff, but it was not Number one, it's never what you think it is. So that's usually, it's it's almost never what you think it is, whatever you think the consequences are going to be. So that's the first thing. And in order to find that out, you do have to experiment. And experimentation is a choice. I had a coach at the time that helped me with that. I talked about it and we talked through worst possible consequences and could you live through them? And I thought, you know, I could. So I went ahead and did things. What I discovered as an unexpected side effect which is now the most important benefit, is the more, the less you have to hide, the more powerful you are. We live in a world that says, the less people know, the more powerful I am, because everything else isn't known. The truth is, when there's nothing to hide, then there's nothing to fear. And no one can bring anything, talk, say, do, be the isn't there already. And I have overcome, gotten past and moved through that. So all of those imaginary things no longer have power.
1: Callan, what made you decide to write the book in the first place if you were reluctant to publish it?
0: I wrote the book for three reasons. One, I needed to. As part of my own cathartic therapeutic process, I needed to tell the truth. And it wasn't written in the negative yell at anybody that did whatever they did. It was just, this is my experience. So, number one, I needed to. Two, I was in the process of healing. Certainly wasn't done by any stretch. And I realized I had 40 years of hiding. And between 13 and 53, that's kind of the years I identify with depression, I was really anxious to see if I could help someone else have only 30 or 20 or 10. Seriously. And so the second reason was there have got to be people who know and who bleed this color, and I want to help them. And it's turned out to be true. Lots of people have talked to me about it. The third reason is besides the person struggling, there are all those people around them, those who care, those who wonder what the flip is going on with all this stuff. And so I wrote it for them so that they would have a window into the unfiltered world that that their loved one is perhaps experiencing in a way that they can't have because they're not able to describe or talk about whatever. So the three reasons I needed to, I wrote it to help people that would resonate. And I wrote it to help caregivers who might say, ah, "I'm look at this. Now I get it and have some different conversation, different conversations with people.
1: How important is it to ask yourself the question, or maybe have somebody else ask you the question, what's the worst thing that could happen if
0: That's really important. I'll give you an example. I was about to give my first industry speech. So I had left the industry. 2007, I left the industry. I uh, had a, like I said, divine intervention, changed everything, got clean and sober, started working on my own depression, unwinding, and started talking to somebody for the first time in my life at 52. Then a year or two later, I got asked to, three years later, I got asked to speak as a keynote at an industry conference by someone who knew me and who knew that I was not in the industry anymore, but I still was very it was a, in in some jurisdictions and in some certain things, I was a household name. I was a one name person, Kellen, and people who knew knew me that well. I said yes. And then I got to thinking, what if, you know, what if they've read the book? What if they like scream and, you know, what like what if all this stuff happens? And so I This is what I talked to my coach about. I said, I'm so scared I can't think straight. This thing's coming up, and I'm going to give this keynote in front of several hundred people in the industry, many of whom knew me and know me. I'm just terrified, and I'm not a frightened public speaker. I'm an accomplished public speaker. I've spoken around the world, stages, conferences, all over the place. So it had nothing to do with that. And he asked me, well, what's the worst that could happen? Like, really, what is the worst that could happen? And I felt, well, they could scream and yell at me. They could boo me off the stage. They could throw things at me. They could hate on the conference organizers for having me come. They could do all that. And I characterized all that together in the context of the French Revolution. I said, they could chase me out with pitchforks and torches, you know, and I is the sort of encapsulated version of that. And he said, okay, now let's go through that. Let's say they do that. They chase you out of the room with pitchforks and torches and tomatoes and whatever else you said. What are you going to do? And I said, but run. And then I would go to the hotel and, you know, then what? Well, then I'd go to bed and get up the next day. And he said, would you die? Uh, probably not. No. Would you, what would you do then? Well, I would, you know, I'd go on. I'd go home. I would go back to my coaching practice. I would probably not go speak at that thing again etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know the point was you would live you would continue the sun would come up in the morning and it other than the the feelings that we experience it wouldn't nothing would happen so in that context i was able to dis- dismiss the whole thing say if that is actually the worst that can happen and i can see clearly that i could get through it and i really wouldn't die and i could go on then yeah okay so I did, and it was well received, and I was invited back the next year, but that wasn't till later, right
1: <laughs> <laughs> right yeah the, the the fear was still there bef- before you went on stage.
0: It was, but I yeah. had simply decided whatever happens that you know I don't see any pitchforks in the room, so we'll just see what happens.
1: yeah, what would you say is the commonality of um, your ideal client people that have made a
0: choice to give in to the feeling that they really have something to do. And it's about time they quit putting it off, making excuses and telling themselves there'll be a better day. Uh, people that are ready to end the addiction to mediocrity and what is obvious and easy. People that are, that are there, I'm done, I'm done. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what it means exactly. But what I do know is I'm going to do this.
1: And uh, what's an example of somebody who has finally put his or her foot down and uh, really wants to put an end to mediocrity. Uh, Well, I had a
0: Sprint executive who... hired me to help him get ready for a TEDx talk, talking about the damage that digital deprivation does to a rising generation. And it was uh, fraught with, you know, race stuff and uh, things that are available, who who does and doesn't have the availability of internet and the, the kinds of things that allow stuff to happen. And it was not popular where he was. So he made this decision. He created a talk and, and gave it. So that was a very concrete, specific, short-term example. Uh, I had another guy who had uh, a business who he owned. It was a gym, not a 24-hour fitness, but a heavy-duty, you know, meat. One of those kind of gyms, right, where people, you know, oil and slick and that sort of stuff. And he was panicked that it wasn't going to do okay, and he was completely wound up in that, and that's all he could do. And he was barely keeping his head above water and didn't know one minute to the next whether or not we could keep coaching and whatever, but he had, he just knew he had to do something. So we worked on it for a while, and now that gym is successful. He turned it over to somebody else to run. He started a new company with four partners, and the people investing capital in his new company are people of renown. And if I rattled off their names, you would know some of them, high-profile sports figures, people that are worth a lot of money, and they're now investors in his new venture with four partners. So, And and the thing that he put his foot down was he knew that he had a skill at both connecting people and at managing social media in a way that was both powerful and attractive. And so what he wanted to do was create a business around uh, marketing. And so he wrote a book Uh, That was one of the things. He wrote a book and then he created with some uh, one first one childhood friend and then two other partners came on over the years, uh, the last three years. And now it's a very successful company. It's growing like a weed. And I expect probably within the next two years, he will have one of those three to four to five hundred million dollar buyouts from a large
1: outfit. Great example of putting an end to mediocrity.
0: Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> uh, I joke with him all the time. Pretty soon, I'm going to have to make an appointment with somebody to make an appointment with his secretary to make an appointment. And he laughs, of course, but he's hes on that road.
1: Well, Kellan, its uh, it's been great having you back on Smashing the Plateau again and uh, just hearing an update of what you're up to, hearing more about the, um, the fantastic work that you're doing. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today, um, find out more about your books or any other resources you may have or get in touch with you. Where's the best place for them to go? You
0: know, one of the good things about having a name like Kellen Flukiger <laughs> is I'm extraordinarily easy to find. Good SEO. It is. There are two <laughs> two out of eight billion. The other one's my son. So on Facebook, on LinkedIn, all my books are on Amazon. I am really easy to find. If you Google my name, there's thousands of hits back from the executive career. So I'm super easy to find. Uh, my email, if anybody wants it, is coachkellanflukiger at gmail.com. But my website is my name, like com. It was really easy to get. It was like no competition, right? There, so there you didn't was have to no, pay
1: a ton of money to get. I didn't have to pay anything.
0: <laughs> for $2.99, right?
1: Sounds great. Well, Kellen, thank you again for coming back. And being on the show again, my guest today has been Kellen Flukiger. Thank you again, Kellen, for joining us.
0: Thrilled to be here, David. Grateful for the work you're doing and the good you're adding to the world. Thank
1: you. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. My conversation with Kellan reminded me how many times I've been reassured by friends when I dreaded an outcome I was imagining. I learned how important it is to be in a community with like-minded colleagues. That's one of the reasons why we created the Smashing the Plateau community. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll experience the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues. You'll also find a range of tools and resources to support your business access to experts, and answers to your burning questions. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com community. That's smashingtheplateau.com community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.